0: Father, we thank you for these moments that you have prepared in eternity past, in advance for us to walk in, for us to appreciate, for us to remember, and for us to proclaim this day. Father, as we explore your holy scriptures this morning, as those of us who have heard the gospel are reminded afresh of the glorious truth of your salvation, as those who will be baptized later profess their faith in Jesus Christ, their only way, truth, and life, the only blood that could satisfy the payment of their sins shed upon Calvary, I pray that you would ignite our hearts with reasons to worship, to glorify, and to walk in your ways today. For those that do not know you, I pray that the proclamation of your truth would draw them unto repentance and faith in Jesus Christ. For those that are making a profession of faith this day, or embarking upon their journey of faith, trusting you, I pray that this might be the first step in a lifelong journey of growing closer to jesus christ their lord and for those of us who have been with you for some time who know you as our lord and savior dear jesus christ may you return to us the joy of our salvation as we look upon your holy word and all of this we trust the holy spirit to use these things as means and all that you might be glorified and your people equipped for the great commission in jesus name we pray amen praise the lord What a great privilege it is for us this morning to gather together in worship of our great Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and to open up His Holy Scripture together and to look upon His Word that is recorded there infallibly for us, declaring to us the truth of salvation. Would you turn with me in your Scriptures to Acts chapter 8 this morning? Our primary text will be Acts 8, 26-39. And this is the record of the Ethiopian, the foreign dignitary, who is saved on his journey from Jerusalem to Gaza and then to his home country when he is intercepted by the deacon Philip on his path. An amazing set of circumstances begin to unfold. Nothing short of miraculous as we see how God sovereignly orchestrates and ordains every detail in this account. Thus the title of this morning's message is Miraculous Salvation. Miraculous Salvation. Anytime God resurrects, a heart dead in sin, to newness of life in Christ, is indeed a miracle. As much a miracle, if not more, than Lazarus himself called forth from the grave as Jesus Christ in his authoritative word speaks, and that which is dead is now alive. The aim of this morning's message is to call our attention to the supernatural work of God the Holy Spirit in the salvation of his people. May our attention be drawn to the supernatural work of God the Holy Spirit in the salvation of His elect, in the salvation of His people. With your Bible open this morning to Acts chapter 8, would you stand with me out of reverence for God's Word, and let us behold this passage together. Listen as I proclaim God's Holy Word in Acts 8, 26-39. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, rise and go toward the south go over and join his chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, do you understand what you are reading? And he said, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of the scripture that he was reading was this, quote, like, sheep, he was le- like a sheep he was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb before its shearers is silent And as they were going along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, See, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop. And they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more and went on his way rejoicing. This is the word of God. You may be seated. As I'm sure if you have grown up in the church, if you're familiar with the New Testament much at all, you've noticed that the book of Acts introduces the church age with the spread of the gospel and a flurry of Holy Spirit activity. Luke, the author of Acts, makes it clear from page one of the New Testament church that the work of salvation in the hearts of his people, of the elect, is indeed a supernatural event. God alone, thus we can say, God alone receives the due glory for the amazing conversion testimonies of His people from the first sermons of His Spirit-filled apostles, one of which we hear in Acts chapter 7, the chapter preceding our own, from one deacon Stephen to the testimony of the Scriptures speaking to Christ from one Philip, the deacon whom we read of today, These testimonies of conversions following these great sermons are examples and echoes of the power of God using His means for gospel preachers from then to now, through gospel preachers from then to now. It is the word and the message of the gospel that has inside of it, by the Spirit's use of that proclamation, the intrinsic means, the innate power, the absolute active ingredient that calls forth the dead heart unto new life and salvation in Jesus. The book of Acts chronicles the obedience of the early church to take up their cross and to proclaim Christ, indeed, to the nations, even if the cost was incredibly high. Stephen paid, as we read again in the book of Acts, an incredibly high cost. His life was given in martyrdom because He cared more about obedience to his Savior than he did his life itself. We ourselves, brothers and sisters, saints gathered here, are continuing fruits of their ancient labors. We are here in part because they were faithful at this time. Stephen, Philip, and the rest of the gospel proclaimers. And today, in their stead, we follow their example in baptizing new converts to the Christian faith in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Our text today, Acts 8.26-39, powerfully reminds us that this event, this baptism service this morning is significant. It represents the culmination of the Spirit's work, the Holy Spirit's sovereign and miraculous cultivating work. Going before, just like he did in this record of the Ethiopian dignitary, this court official from this distant land, the Holy Spirit was working far in advance, uh, leading and preceding Philip unto this man. And so the same thing has been happening in the hearts of those who will confess their faith this morning. He has been working upon them, going before, preparing their hearts to receive the word of God. He has been anointing the preaching of the word in their hearing, that it rings, the, uh, strikes the cord of truth within their soul, convicting them of sin and moving them to repentance. He has appointed for them, in the case of these seven children this morning, godly parents who through their discipline and instruction have shared with them the word of God. He has prepared conversations that some of you may have had with them about gospel topics. He has been illustrating the truths of Scripture through their experience as they've grown up in church, in the faith, and as they have encountered believers. Indeed, He has opened their eyes, their eyes that were once spiritually blind, to see and to behold the truth of Jesus Christ as their Savior and Lord. Indeed, He has resurrected spiritual life from the deadness of sin in each of their hearts. Let us consider this morning a textbook conversion account from the biography of the early church where this same type of thing was happening in the heart and in the life of a would-be believer, namely this Ethiopian from a faraway land. I'll give you a heading this morning in four points. The heading is this. The Holy Spirit's work showcased in appointing the following. Number one, a God-fearing foreigner. The Holy Spirit appointed unto salvation a God-fearing foreigner. Number two, the Holy Spirit's work is showcased in appointing a gospel preacher, Philip, to bring the message of the truth to him. Number three, the Holy Spirit's work is showcased in appointing His holy word, the word of God in His hand and in His heart to show Him the truth. And finally, the Holy Spirit's work is showcased in appointing water for baptism, that closes this account of this great conversion of the Ethiopian eunuch on his road, not just to his home country, but on his road to salvation itself. Praise the Lord. Let us consider point one. Let us notice the miraculous work of salvation. Let us see our attention called to the supernatural work of God, the Holy Spirit, in the saving of His people, and the fact that God had appointed unto salvation a God-fearing foreigner. Notice in our text, verse 26 again. Now, an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go toward the south, to the road that goes from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and went, and there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come up to Jerusalem to worship. Let me submit to you that this account, this conversion, is going to illustrate Stephen's sermon from the, pro- from the previous chapter. You, may, you, I'm sure, are familiar with Stephen. He is the one who testified to the religious leaders of the day that refused to believe the truth that Jesus Christ was the Messiah incarnate in the flesh who came and fulfilled the prophecies of old, prophecies that this eunuch was reading in his very chariot from Isaiah 53. And so they took up stones to kill this man his dying breath was dedicated to announcing that Jesus Christ was Savior and Lord, that he was the fulfillment of the law and the prophets. He gave a record of the history. Turn with me, if you would, to Acts chapter 7. He gave a record of the history of God's people, and it culminated with this proclamation. Let us pick up in verse 45. Our fathers, in turn, brought it in with uh, Joshua when they dispossessed the nations that God drove out before our fathers, So it was until the days of David, who found favor in the sight of God and asked to find a dwelling place for the God of Jacob. Verse 47, but it was Solomon who built a house for him, yet the Most High does not dwell in houses made by hands. As the prophet says, listen, heaven is my throne and earth is my footstool. What kind of house will you build for me, says the Lord? Or what is the place of my rest? Did not my hand make all these things? He goes on to condemn them. They do not believe such things. Verse 51, You stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit as your fathers did, so did you. He goes on, And as he is stoned to death, in his dying gaze, and in, with his last words, he confesses to a vision. The Holy Spirit indwelling Stephen opens his eyes, and as he gazes into heaven, he sees the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, verse 56, behold, I see the heavens opened, and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Just moments later, he confessed to his Savior, Lord, ruling King of Kings into my hands, just the same as his Lord and Savior, Jesus did. I commit my spirit. Hold not the sin of these men against him. And Stephen went to be with his Lord. I want you to notice where his Lord was in Stephen's dying confession and in his dying breath. He was standing at the right hand of the Father in the place of absolute rule and authority, having received the kingdom promised to him in the prophecy of Daniel 7 having received this kingdom, now standing, actively reigning and overseeing as judge these very proceedings, where this kangaroo trial, where, wherein Stephen was unjustly charged, Jesus Christ was ruling and reigning. Now Stephen's words would be fulfilled. God had appointed for Stephen to witness in this way. And Stephen's words that announced that the glory of God would now go on the, beyond the borders of a mere temple, a mere tabernacle, a mere place built with human hands to encompass the whole earth would happen shortly. And indeed, evidence to this effect is taken up in the very next chapter. The Spirit of God accompanies Philip it's not confined to the temple, not confined to one mountain or another, but indeed sends him on a mission, on a journey to reach a man outside the boundaries of ethnic Israel, a man from a different country entirely, from an entirely different culture, and to bring him the knowledge of the truth. And when this man was filled with joy upon the knowledge of salvation, where do you think he took that good news? Indeed, he took it back to the court of Candace the queen, no doubt, and the court of Ethiopia, the government of this distant land, Soon, I'm sure, was abuzz with the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ beginning to cover the earth with the message of his gospel even as the waters cover the sea. God appointed this God-fearing foreigner for this very task. The Holy Spirit's work was showcased in appointing a man from a distant land to illustrate Stephen's sermon that the gospel would go forth to all the nations. Now notice something else. God appointed this God-fearing foreigner, but this wasn't the first moment of his work. When God prepared Philip with the instructions to go reach him, when God used the sermon or the message that he was reading to inspire the sermon that Philip used to proclaim the gospel to him, God was drawing this man long before Philip arrived. Again, in Acts chapter 8, what do we read? We read of this man that he had come from Jerusalem. What was he doing there? Well, he had come to Jerusalem to worship. So this man had traveled from Ethiopia to Jerusalem to worship the God of the Israelites. There was a category along these lines in the Scriptures. Cornelius was another man appointed for salvation that we read of in chapter 10. These are sometimes called the God-fearers. These are Gentiles who had a faith, the Holy Spirit was working upon their heart. They believed to some degree, to the knowledge that they had, that the God of the Israelites was the true God. And to some degree, they worshiped him. Their heart was prepared by the Holy Spirit to receive the word of God. And so when the message of the truth reached the ears of the Ethiopian, what did he say? Yes, What prevents me from being baptized right now? I know exactly what you're saying. I believe it with all my heart. The Holy Spirit was at work preparing this man. Cornelius, the same. Another unlikely convert. Him, he, a Roman centurion. When Peter, he goes and preaches the gospel to him just two chapters later. What does he say? Well, I want to be baptized and my house. I confess, I believe. Again, we see that the Holy Spirit has gone forth and he has drawn these The Spirit has gone forth into the world and prepared a harvest that is beginning to be reaped, and that is being reaped even this day. Brothers and sisters, notice this morning, upon the testimony of those who will come up in a few moments and share their faith, notice this truth illustrated in our text and these examples today, the Holy Spirit has gone before He has prepared their hearts, He has been drawing them, He has been strengthening them in the knowledge of the truth, He has been convicting them of sin, He has been showing them, opening up their eyes to the Gospel. Without His work in their hearts, they would yet be blind this day, but because the Spirit has gone before and drawn them, they, like the centurion. They, like this individual from the court of Candace, this Ethiopian dignitary, are being drawn unto salvation, have been drawn, and upon hearing the word of God, have confessed that it is indeed true. One more note I want to draw your attention to in the text. That illustrates, if you will, the greater riches of salvation. Again, the Holy Spirit's work is showcased in appointing this God-fearing foreigner who is a unique case for salvation. We see that he illustrates Stephen's sermon. We see that the Holy Spirit was drawing him before Philip even arrives. But we also see that he soon knew Christ as his greater treasure. This man, what was his job? He arose, again, speaking of Philip, and went. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship. Notice this man. He was not a man of meager means. He was not someone who was unfamiliar with the blessings and the provisions and the overflowing riches of this world. He was a man who in his ordinary vocation was surrounded by great riches. And yet, what does he do? He travels from his place of lodging Surrounded by these riches in this place of importance, in this place of privilege, no doubt, in the court of the queen of Ethiopia, and he travels to Jerusalem in search of a greater treasure still. And does he find it on his journey? Yes. Upon his return, he finds riches overflowing and eternal in Jesus Christ, his Lord and Savior. There is no greater joy than this. There are no greater riches. Indeed, the storehouses of the kings and queens of the earth cannot compare to that which is in the storehouses of the kingdom of God. And what is in the storehouses of the kingdom of God but the precious blood of Jesus Christ, the blood that washes away our sin, that which is the richest of all substance, if you will, in in the entire history of mankind because it alone has the power to cleanse us from sin and to usher into the riches of God's presence and the blessings of glory eternally. The Spirit's work is showcased in appointing a God-fearing foreigner. Let us notice, secondly, that the Spirit's work is showcased in appointing a gospel preacher to proclaim the truth to this man. This, of course, is Philip. So Philip is called by the Holy Spirit He arose and went, we find in verse 27, and then he finds his duty and his job description unfolding before him, his mission, if you will, in verse 29. The Spirit said to Philip, go over and join his chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet. And Philip asked a simple question, do you understand what you are reading? This is a great question to ask. Many are familiar with the basic truths or something about the gospel, even in our land today. It's a great question to ask if you are a believer of your friends, of your children, of your family members, of your coworkers. Do you understand what you have read in the Bible? Do you understand the gospel? It's a question that I often use. This man had a great answer. He said, how can I unless someone guides me? He said, I basically, he said in so many words, I need a gospel preacher, someone who understands these words to proclaim them to me. I am all ears. So God appointed a gospel preacher to bring the news of Jesus Christ to this man, and he did it under amazing circumstances. Now, the extraordinary and miraculous things are happening, but don't miss the ordinary as well. God ordinarily, his common practice of bringing people to saving faith is up the preaching of the gospel through the word of God proclaimed and testified to by his servants. Philip was an example of this in this passage, but I would encourage you if you are a believer in this room to take up that charge, to testify to Jesus Christ. And if someone asks you a question of the gospel, to give them an answer, a reason, as the scriptures go on to say, for the hope within you. Now, in taking up this role, Philip was taking on the duty of one of two types of witnesses. In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, we read the following. It says, uh, in Jesus' own words, But you will receive power, he's speaking to his representative disciples, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. There are two kinds of witnesses in the book of Acts. There are those who witnessed by laying their life down quite literally. The term witness is synonymous with martyr in Scripture. And so Stephen witnessed to the greater power of the gospel when he was willing to die for his confession of faith in Jesus Christ, his Lord. But the very next chapter gives us an account of the second kind of witness. And this was Philip. Philip witnessed with his words. He gave testimony in his confession his profession of the truth, of the knowledge of salvation. Two kinds of testimonies are evident in the first pages of the early church. God raises up gospel preachers yet today to witness by both laying down their lives as we think about our persecuted brothers and sisters this world over, and Lord willing, you and I, if you know him this day, by proclaiming the truth to your neighbors. Now, this was a signal conversion. That means This was a conversion that signaled an important change, an important fulfillment of prophecy that would now set the tone for the church moving forward. As Philip, as this gospel preacher, reaches the lost with the gospel, it's important to note what kinds of people he was reaching. Acts chapter 8 verse 4 tells us, Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. So where is Philip preaching? To the Samaritans. He's preaching in Samaria. And the crowds with one accord, verse 6, paid attention to what was being said by Philip and when they heard him and saw the signs that he did. For unclean spirits came out of many who were possessed, crying with a loud voice, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was much joy in that city." So, if you recall, Stephen was preaching to those who gathered in Jerusalem, and the other apostles had at this point been proclaiming the gospel to those in the greater surrounding area of Judea. But now Philip has taken up the mantle to reach the next area or region, Samaria. And now, Philip has encountered in our text today one from one of the uttermost portions, or the ends, you could say, of the earth, a distant land. Namely, Ethiopia. So, do you see what is going on here? The fulfillment of Christ's words in Acts 1 8. You, Stephen, Philip, others, representative disciples, will be my witnesses. Where? In Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, yea, even to the ends of the earth. The gospel is unfolding, and the prophecy of the expanse of the kingdom of God is unfolding in this historical record in this biography of the early church before our eyes as we read. Saints of God in this room, it is unfolding yet today. What are we if not another distant corner of the earth? What is Cross Lake, Minnesota if not another pocket that no one was even aware of 2,000 years ago when these words were spoken? The Spirit knew. The Holy Spirit knew that in this groundbreaking work of the gospel going forward in this day, it was breaking trail for the knowledge of Jesus Christ to reach your ears and mine. 2,000 years later, the other side of the globe and the northern portion of what would one day be the United States of America. The power of God is yet encompassing this globe. And the gospel is reaching like tendrils into the furthest reaches of yet unreached people groups even this day. And as it does so, the words of Jesus Christ are being fulfilled, not just in Stephen and Philip, but by God's grace, if you know him and proclaim him this day, you and I, yes, indeed, to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. Thirdly, note that this gospel preacher did not point to, hey, guess what, uh, Mr. Eunuch? Do you know who brought me here? An angel. Uh, you know, uh, I've seen some pretty amazing things in my experience. Notice he didn't appeal in his gospel message to this man by saying, if you believe in Jesus, you could be happier than you ever imagined. Jesus will pave the way to a life of comfort and ease. Do you have any marriage problems? That would be a weird question for a eunuch. And then he would find out in an uncomfortable conversation that that might not be an on-ramp to the gospel. What was the means that this gospel preacher employed as the power of God unto salvation to waken the dead heart? It was the scripture and the scripture alone. Again, the primary means that God employs to reach the lost with his gospel is the word of God. Herein is the power of God unto salvation, the gospel itself, to the Jew first and also to the Greek, so do not be ashamed. Philip experienced amazing, significant, spectacular miracles he had seen in the testimony of the apostles, the dead raised likely, the lame walking likely, yet none of these compared in His experience, and His knowledge of the power of God unto salvation, the Word. And brothers and sisters, as we look at these words before us today in your Scriptures, we have in our possession the same power of God unto salvation. So let us realize it as such, as we call our attention to the supernatural work and power of God for the salvation of His elect. Third point this morning, let's focus specifically on His Holy Word. Where was this man reading? He was reading Isaiah 53, 7 through 8. Turn there with me if you would. Talk about a miraculous salvation. Think of all the details that God ordered in this event. Among them, the very passage that this Ethiopian was reading from was a gospel-centered, a messianic prophecy, and in its context, pointed to Jesus Christ in amazing ways. What a great lead-in for Philip to just read the context and proclaim its fulfillment in Jesus. Let us do that this morning. Notice verse 5, Isaiah 53. Who is the he here? Answer that question in your mind by substituting Jesus Christ as we read. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his stripes, we are healed. And we all, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him, on Jesus, the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted. These are the verses the eunuch was reading. Yet he opened not his mouth, like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. But oppression and judgment, by oppression and judgment, he was taken away. And as for his generation who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people, and they made his grave with the wicked and with the rich man in his death, although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth. Pause there for a moment. Brothers and sisters, Isaiah is writing as a prophet of old of Jesus Christ to come, There is but one Lamb of God, this Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, God incarnate, God in flesh, John the Baptist, the Elijah to come pointed to and said, Behold, the Lamb which takes away the sin of the world. When he was pointing to Christ, he was pointing to Isaiah 53. And the Holy Spirit was pointing to Isaiah 53. And the very scroll that the Ethiopian was reading and Philip was pointing to the Word of God, Isaiah 53, fulfilled in Christ, Philip was pointing to that as he proclaimed this gospel prophecy fulfilled in our Lord and Savior. Verse 10 continues, Isaiah 53, yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for sin, he shall see his offering, he shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous. Pausing there. Many to be accounted righteous, you might ask, like whom? Like those from the distant corners of the earth, like one a court official, even from Candace's, uh, queen, uh, Candace's kingdom as queen, she had one who would now return to her court and testify that he had met the Lamb of God. In his own salvation, he was the one who bore the iniquities of this man. He bore the iniquities of Philip. He bore the iniquities of Stephen. He bore your iniquities if you're in him today. And he bore the iniquities of those who will be baptized just like this man was this morning, this day. Verse 12, Isaiah 53. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the enemy, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Listen, yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. In this passage, there are two kinds of sheep, if you will. Notice this, the gospel. In verse 6, it says, We all, like sheep, have gone astray, sheep without a shepherd, lost in our sin and transgressions, doomed to utter total, deserved, hell-bent destruction. But there was another sheep. It said, and upon him was laid the iniquity of us all. It says of him that he, like a lamb, was led to the slaughter. Like a sheep that before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. What do we see in this picture? We see substitutionary atonement. We see the punishment of one in the place of another. We see the sheep, the Lamb of God, slain for we the sheep, who have gone astray. This was the gospel in Isaiah 53. This was the gospel proclaimed to this man in this chariot, and this is the gospel yet proclaimed in your hearing this day. Will you listen? Will you hear it? Will you repent? And will you believe if you do not know him this morning? This is the holy word of God. It strikes me as utterly amazing, miraculous and significant, that if they but continued in this scroll... Yet more revelation would unfold pertinent to this very man's experience. Let us note just in passing Isaiah 56. Notice the benefits we've talked about Christ as our Savior. And now notice the benefits to us, the lost and broken, expounded in Isaiah 56.3. The prophet says, Let not the foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord say, The Lord will surely separate me from his people. Who is this Ethiopian, he was a foreigner, was he not? He was not born among the people of God. He wasn't by birth a child of Abraham. But we go on. The same verse. The Lord will surely separate, let him not say the Lord will surely separate me from his people. And let not the eunuch say, behold, I am a dry tree. For thus says the Lord to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbath, who choose the things that please and hold fast please me and hold fast my covenant i will give in my house and within my walls a monument and a name better than the sons and daughters i will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off and the foreigners who join themselves to the lord to minister to him, to love the name of the Lord and to his servants, everyone who keeps the Sabbath and does not profane it and holds fast my covenant. These I will bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be accepted on my altar for my house shall be called a house of prayer for all peoples. The Lord God who gathers the outcasts of Israel declares, I will gather yet others to him besides those already gathered. These words are fulfilled specifically not only in Christ, but in this example of an Ethiopian eunuch whose past is not ideal, who has experienced a degree of brokenness as a result generally of the fall in his sin and in his physical condition. Yet the promise to him is restoration in Jesus Christ. And so his name, receives renown in Acts chapter 8 in fulfillment of Isaiah 56 where the message of the gospel uh, immortalized and classically illustrated in his very example is being proclaimed. His legacy is being proclaimed in this congregation today, 2,000 years removed. God's word is this morning coming true in our very ears. The holy word of God is sufficient Brothers and sisters, we see that the Word of God and its message was sufficient for this distant foreigner, broken sinner, alien to the sons of God. It was sufficient for him, and so the Word of God is sufficient for you and me, broken in our sin. No matter what we have sustained and endured endured in our life by way of fallout, abuse, consequences because of the sinful world and our sinful lives that we have lived. The Holy Word of God, illustrated in our text today, is sufficient for salvation. Final point this morning, water for baptism. The Holy Spirit's work is showcased in appointing water for baptism. This itself is a testimony to the miraculous work of the Holy Spirit in salvation. Notice how perfectly timed this journey was. So at the point of this man's confession of faith, There just happened to be, by God's sovereign, ordained providence, a body of water. Oh, that's not too unique for us in the land of 10,000 lakes, but that's uh, that's not where this story unfolded. Remember our text? Again, Acts 8. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. Why that note in the text? Well, because God, so to speak, would make water flow in the desert to supply means for baptizing this convert right at the time when he gave his heart to the Lord. It's a picture of the Holy Spirit's ordaining and orchestrating all of the events surrounding this man's conversion. God supplied water in the desert for a foreigner and a eunuch on his journey back home in a desert place. Now historians tell us, if you look at the geography, that the Gaza area is the last watering hole before a long desert trek through and into uh, Egypt. And so in God's providence, the very last place, if you will, that was available for this man to be baptized, became a sanctuary to welcome into the waters of baptism this new convert from a distant land who celebrated and proclaimed his relationship with Jesus Christ by saying, hey, wouldn't you know there's water? What prevents me from being baptized right now? Nothing, so they go down into the water and he is baptized. Brothers and sisters, if you are alive today, there remains waters of baptism open, so to speak, for you. Would you repent and believe? Would you trust that God has ordained even the preaching of this message to bring you to the knowledge of truth if you don't know Him today. If you do know Him, notice how God has ordered. Think about the amazing power, the miraculous power evident in salvation, in organizing, as we said, all the circumstances that brought you to faith and has brought those who confess faith to the cross and to confession of the same today. So as Philip baptizes this man, he can truly say, according to Matthew 28, which we'll touch upon later, mission accomplished. Jesus had given Philip and his comrades a mission to go into all the world and to make disciples, teaching them all that he had commanded, and baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And so here was a representative of the ends of the earth, so to speak, and Philip could say, mission accomplished, I am walking in obedience, and what a glorious uh, reality that must have been for him to share in the joy of this man's salvation and in the obedience to his Lord." Why baptism, you might ask? Let us close with this by turning to 1 Peter 3. Baptism is a significant experience in the life of a new believer. We read of its significance from the apostle Peter. Notice Philip was a deacon. He was a second-generation proclaimer, if you will. A deacon was not an apostle, but they were trained and commissioned by the apostles. Peter was an apostle. Peter would have trained, or those uh, like him would have trained, ones like Stephen and Philip, in the significance of what baptism was. And it would have included instructions like this, 1 Peter 3.18, "...for Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that He might bring us to God, being uh, put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit, in which He went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison." with angels, authorities, and powers, having been subjected to Him." Now that is a powerful passage. And it joins others that expound the glories and the significance of baptism. But let me just give you a few things to remember. Our children who will be baptized today, listen closely. We have had conversations, have we not, about what baptism means? And some of you know this already. What does baptism represent? What does baptism remind us of? Does anyone have a suggestion? Those who are being baptized today? What does baptism remind us of? Being raised from the dead. I'll take another answer. Reminds us of God. Any other answers? What does baptism remind us of? Reminds us of people who died? Getting closer, any other thoughts? Don't be bashful. Baptism reminds us of several things, so listen closely. When we go beneath the waters of baptism, we can remember that Jesus died for us. When Jesus died, our old sin nature died. When we come up out of the waters of baptism, we can remember that Jesus was raised from the dead. What happened to Jesus happened to us when we believe in Him. This is called union with Christ. His experience is our experience. He paid for our sins. So think of death, Jesus' death. Think of resurrection. Now in our passage today in 1 Peter 3, think of this. What was the special instrument of salvation that kept Noah's family safe through the waters of judgment? What kept Noah's family safe during the flood? Does anyone know, children? What kept Noah's family safe during the flood? The boat, the ark? Yes, that's right. Just like the ark carried Noah's family safely through the waters of judgment, so God carries us through the waters of baptism in our ark, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ carries us safely through the waters that would otherwise destroy us drown us, punish us, and condemn us. So water represents judgment. Baptism represents being brought through safely in Jesus. Now, when we go under the water, it's a picture also that our sins are washed away by the blood of Jesus. Uh, The water doesn't do anything significant to the outside of the body, but it represents something significant that happens on the inside. Jesus' blood makes us clean. So, think of these things, children. Baptism today is a sign of your new life in Jesus, of your new covenant, that is, your new relationship or membership among the people of God. Baptism is also a sign that what happened to Jesus is your experience as well. He died for your sins. Baptism also represents being brought, as we said, safely through judgment because Jesus was punished for you. Baptism reminds us that our sins are washed away. Baptism reminds us that we are born again, that we are a new person in Jesus, a new creation. Baptism is also obedience to our Savior. We're following our new master now, and it's a testimony to everyone here and to all the world that I am a Christian now. So children, when you're standing before us today, that's what you're saying. I belong to Jesus. I am His. I am a new person. He is my Savior. My sins are washed away. So listen closely. If you are being baptized today, listen closely to me. I want you to remember your entire life, this day and this moment. Always remember, let this be a lifelong reminder to you of the amazing work of the Holy Spirit in saving you, children, it is a miracle that God has given you believing parents, a gospel preaching church, people that have declared God's word to you. Um, Vera, how old are you? Maya, how old are you? So I was seven years old when I was baptized. I was baptized in my grandpa's bathtub. Uh, that might sound kind of funny, but it was the middle of the winter and I still remember it to this day. There was palm trees pasted on the walls of the bathtub, and there was an extra board with plastic so the water wouldn't splash out. And my grandpa, as I recall, he preached a sermon from Acts chapter 8. He read the very verses to me when I was seven years old that I am reading to these two seven-year-olds and the rest of you who will be baptized today. God provided water for me to be baptized in northern Minnesota in the middle of the winter. It was an amazing thing. But, but more important or more amazing than this, God was working on my heart, and I remember that moment to this day. It was a life-changing event. As we transition in prayer to testimonies, let us pray that this would be a life-changing event in the hearts of these children today. Dear Lord, we pray that these moments we have together would forever write upon the hearts of these children the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ, that they would remember this day and that if they were ever tempted to doubt, if they were ever tempted to stray from the knowledge of Jesus Christ, that they would return in their memory to this baptism moment and confess to the enemy, to the world, to all that I, I belong to Jesus Christ. I am baptized in His name and my life is forever changed because the gospel has transformed me. Jesus Christ's blood has washed away my sin He has taken my punishment, and I am born again in him. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.